Good everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Friday Wrap. Um, I'm your co-host David Shi, and um, as always, we are back again on another Friday afternoon chat, just about all things property, commodity, finance, Bitcoin, whatever you name it. You know, we we just like a few a few guys like to get around on a Friday. Um, have a chat about what's been happening uh, around the world. It's, you know, I really enjoy it. And I'm sure, you know, the, the two guys that's with me as well can see the smell on their face every Friday. So, but uh, yeah, joining me today, as always, is uh, our co-host, Jazz Stana. Jazz, how are you doing? So I'm glad you, you guys have joined us so far. We have been suffering the pain. And finally, you guys have joined the party. You, you Now you will know what it feels like, I guess. Brothers from a different state. We never say we're going to leave you guys alone, are we? <laughs> <laughs> and John, how are we doing? How are you doing under the uh, the current restrictions? Good. Uh, look, I don't leave my house anyway. Um, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. Like, uh, it, it's, it's terrible. But, uh, yeah, fr- Friday, um, chatting to you guys is the highlight of my week. And, and I've got a wife and three kids. So this is my, the best time of the week for me. So you join the dots on that one. I think this we, is more of a, I think we enjoy the gay brotherhood. Is the, is <laughs> he gets no interruptions from the kids, basically. So that's that's, that's right. what he loves about, you know. And you guys listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you think we listen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll, we'll let out. We'll let our listeners judge on that one. I reckon. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, back into what we uh, what we are going to talk about this week. So. Um, to start off with, it's uh, it's interesting because um, John, uh, John, thank you for sharing this. We've got a a, a chart from Credit Suisse, uh, which basically talks about the changing in terms of median wealth. Um, okay, across 2019, 2020, which is during the COVID period, it's interesting to see which country actually turned out to be much more wealthier in terms of, uh, you know, after COVID's been happening. So um, I'm not going to leave our audiences hanging. Uh, the number one changing wealth, median wealth or mean wealth is actually Switzerland. They had the biggest spike, which is up to about 60000 actually just over $60,000 US per adult. But then followed shortly by Australia, who's also over $60,000 US per adult. So I think that's a good wealth effect here that the government wanted us all to have you know ever since the COVID period has happened people's been printing money government's been printing money like there's no tomorrow so and that's being reflected in terms of what we all been talking about you know in terms of property prices commodity prices share prices whatever all the asset classes been going up but in particular I think it's actually the property prices that's been surging particularly well that's uh, that's basically uh, rendering this chart there so gents i'm happy to i think i'll throw the i'll throw the idea out on the table uh in terms of whether do, do you guys think that that's a that's a true reflection in terms of that graph like is it because of the property or is it because of something else that's uh that's making australian a lot feeling a lot more richer nowadays so here's the thing uh, the first one is switzerland and the second one is australia I wonder what's the similarity between the two. And like you mentioned, David, before, it's the property. Both countries are heavily dependent on the property as an industry mm-hmm. and the banking system on top of that. For Australia, you can add mining as well, which is obviously the case. But the bigger question is, is this the right way to measure the wealth 
I mean, it doesn't matter what your house is worth. You cannot sell the house. I mean, you can sell the house, but you will not prefer to sell the house to do the things, to live your life, right? So house is a place, it's a, it's a, it's a shelter. You need that, right? If it was, if you were to remove the principal place of residence out of this chart, then the question becomes, where do Australians and the Swiss, Swiss people really sit? Uh, investment properties, obviously, you can count because you can sell them, but you always need roof, which is your house, right? So I don't know if this is the right way to measure the wealth in first in the first uh, uh, is, is the first thing I'll say. Um, yes, maybe when you are retired and you're moving into the age here, then probably it matters. But no surprises over there. Like John said once. Uh, it's a national sport of Australia, the housing. Uh, and uh, we know it's a discussion on the barbecue all the time. Uh, property, property, property. How do, uh, how prices keeps going up. So I don't know. It, there's nothing else to add from my side, to be honest. That That's all I can say. That it's not the true measure of wealth is is what I'm trying to say. Because of, yeah, because of the fact that it factored in your own occupier property, correct. right? Yeah. yeah. I would love to see this stat without that being included. And if it still holds true, great. If it doesn't, then probably time to look at it differently, I think. Yeah, I think you, that's a really interesting comment. Let's sort of explore that. I think you're, I think you're basically right that Australia does two things really well. Uh, we do real estate well and we do mining well. And real estate is, and mining as well, I suppose, is very easy to inflate. So if we're hyper-focused on these measures of, of, of someone's net worth, but you can always pump that up if you lower interest rates. So I suppose that's a very interesting way to look at it. Uh, the the um, Adam Smith, sort of father of modern economics, father of capitalism, he wrote a book called The Wealth of Nations a couple of hundred years ago, and he sort of said something similar. He said, you know, um, housing is an unproductive asset. So you, you really don't want to, you don't want to put too much of your GDP in housing, if anything. He said, you know, he didn't quite say you strip it out, but he said that, you know, if, you, know, if you take it to a logical extreme and you, your entire GDP was dependent on housing, you would have no one being productive. There'd be no productive assets in your economy. So don't become dependent on, on real estate, which is quite interesting. Um, uh, you know, if you look at the truly diverse economies, economies like uh, the United States and the, some European nations, they don't have the same pop uh, as, as smaller countries like Switzerland and Australia. The other, the other country that did really well was Belgium. And they, they are similar in the sense that they, they're not particularly, you know, they don't manufacture either. They don't necessarily have mining industries. So we're all dependent on these sort of inflationary sensitive assets like, uh, like real estate. And, you know, I, I don't, I think what's interesting is, um, is also that I don't think, I don't think the economy is healthy. The economy is really quite sick at the moment. Talk about the, the, this keyword being productive. We're not really that productive at the moment. Most of us are being told to stay at home. We're not generating goods and services the way we were in say 2019. So what I think, you know, the Austrian economists described what we are seeing at the moment as a melt-up, um, as a crack-up boom. It's like, um, it's, the, it's inflation, actually, that's masquerading as economic growth. 
And if you look at the real estate market, if you look at the stock market, that's what we have. We have a melt-up. We have inflation pretending to be economic growth. Mm-hmm. And um, as sort of just to bring it home, as a country that has a sort of above average reliance on real estate and also commodities, we are at the very pointy end of an inflationary type of policy because we depend on real estate. So Australia would always do well out of that sort of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you're bang on. Uh, with that it's uh, commodities you can still exclude to some extent because there's a use case for commodities right so uh, and if it naturally gets inflated because of the money supply and all makes sense right and it's productive and and it's productive that's the important point and it's productive right but housing was always meant to be shelter yeah it's just because we changed the rules of the game and the game is now rigged in sense that to inflate away all this debt, which got created because we started using property as an investment vehicle, uh, I think has somewhere broken the system down and it's impossible to fix the system. Like we said in the past, it's kicking the can down the road, right? So we can keep kicking it. Um, if, if, we, if we go by this measure, the chart that we are just looking at, I bet um, Australia will always be on the top or somewhere, mm. somewhere on the top in the top two, three countries because um, housing is the game here, basically. It's a bloody good place to live as well. But I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking as well as we, we sort of isolated Switzerland and Australia, and I don't have a fully formed view, sort of view on this, but I, I was sort of thinking when I read those statistics that the other thing that... Um, Australia and Switzerland have in common is it was sort of isolated in different ways. You know, uh, uh, like Switzerland is a sort of neutral oasis in the middle of Europe um, that, that isn't sort of, yeah, that it's sort of safe haven, I suppose. It's politically neutral, um, economically neutral as well. It's not officially part of the EU. And Australia has its all of its obvious um, remoteness. It's an island. It's And it's, I think these slightly disconnected economies, Australia and Switzerland, again, perhaps that's what the other thing they have in common. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll say is if you were building a system today from a scratch, right? So ground zero, green zero, should property even be a measure of wealth or an asset class to invest in? I mean, knowing what we know today about the system, how broken it is, how we just keep applying bandage, just I'm, I'm keen to see what the thoughts are. If, if you were given a chance tomorrow to build the system again, would you put property as an investment class still in it? Uh, look, I, I think with the inherent of how Australians are, <laughs> it's difficult unless you set rules to say that you know, you can't you can't invest in properties, and you, you set rules, definitive rules on those kind of things. Otherwise, I think the history is going to repeat most likely that you know the asset property is still instead of just being a shelter by itself, they are still going to be used as an investment and wealth creation vehicle. I think that's just being built into our genes. Unless you reset everything from scratch, <laughs> including people's mindset and mentality, that may not necessarily change that much, to be honest. So that could still be included 
in terms of the wealth measurement, in my opinion. Um, but I do agree with you about the owner-occupier side of things, right? Until you actually get it. I don't know. I think, I think the true measure of the wealth should comes down to the, the actual, I guess, the, the, the net wealth, which is what, uh, what you own versus and subtract what you owe as the actual wealth rather than, um, I, I don't know whether this chart actually includes that. That's something that I don't have visibility on. So. See, to me, it feels like when we start using property as an investment vehicle, the very first thing that we have done is we have killed the creativity. We literally just killed the whole creativity over there because mm -hmm. what we have done is we have put people into a system where they have to pay their house now for 30 years, which means they need to take a job to be able to pay that debt. And then we let them refinance that debt to buy some luxury cars. And what ends up happening in that is because we have built the system around us in that fashion and our kids are being taught in that manner that somewhere we have totally killed that creativity that lies inside the people and inside citizens of the country, right? Um, think about it. Um, if people didn't have any mortgage, Right, or if, if if it was if the property was so affordable, which it should be, if you take out the leverage part and all the invest, it, it being an investment class, uh, I think a lot of the people will probably end up quitting their jobs and doing things that they really want to do and make them a lot more productive. Uh, whereas currently they are less productive, partly because they've got debt sitting on them and they need to have a paycheck uh, and do things that they don't like, which is nine to five, slogging to slogging on the freeway to get to your work and then driving back home and pretty much wasting your life on it. I think is what's happening. Yeah, this you is, know what it reminds me of? This is, this is exactly the, the discussion that made Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. It, this is what made him famous. He said, your house is not an asset. This is exactly what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and it ruffled feathers and all that sort of stuff. But um, I've seen this debate come up again on property forums and it's only coming up now. And it sort of ties into what you're saying. You know, we're, we're told that we're $40,000 per adult richer than we were a year ago. But if that's in the value of our house, does that matter? Since it's not a productive asset, it's not generating income and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, to your question, Jazz, should we consider real estate an investment asset class as uh, I still think yes. I still think yes. But 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 you're right that th there's the house you live in, and then there's there are investment properties, and then there are commercial properties, and and some of those types of assets are more productive and generate income and so on. And the house that you live in doesn't. But do you exclude it from your net worth? Oh, I don't know. I I, I don't think you exclude it. Um, but you can't eat your house either, and you 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 know you, you can't. You don't have to sell your house the moment you uh, you need the money either, because you, you're still going to have to buy something else to live somewhere else. It's complicated, but I, I suspect I'd still probably keep your house in as a as part of net worth. I'd be interested to see without it though. Mm -hmm. See, if honestly, I think if given a chance to rebuild the system from the scratch, reset of the mindset completely, I think property shouldn't be an asset class at all. It should be mm -hmm. it should be just a shelter. And once you make it just a shelter, it becomes so affordable. Because um, in reality, there's no shortage of property. I mean, we talk about shortage. Yes, there is shortage in the central areas where we live, right? 
but um, that that too because of various reasons, and we are seeing that kind of demand shift as we'll move now to the other other uh, sea change, tree change things that we have talked about in the past. But in my opinion, um, given to re, given a chance to rebuild the whole system, reset the mindsets of the people, it should purely be a shelter, not an asset class at all. I think there's other ways to invest money uh, in the creativity of the people uh, to build things that are more productive rather than real estate, which is not productive, but we are forcing it to become productive because it generates other jobs, uh, which is a domino effect. But we just stuck in that hole, basically, a black box. Isn't yeah, Germany I'm... Isn't Germany under that system? Actually, I just remembered. I thought Germany actually doesn't encourage investors. They actually have to provide affordable, affordable shelters, right? Yep. So my question then is, where do they sit on this wealth? Well, look look at how uh, much manufacturing happens in Germany, Germany, mm. German cars and everything, right? Look at America, right? Why is America not on this chart? Purely because they... Uh, uh, why is all the startup culture living in America? Why do you see all these big companies, Facebook, Twitter... Uh, you name it, right? They all come out of America. Why is that? Because the system is built in a way where property is not the only means to make big buck. There are other better things which are a lot more productive and property is being used more as a shelter. Yes, they do have their own issues in the US with the real estate as well, but that's not their primary talk when they are uh, in a bar, when when they're sitting at the barbecue with with their friends, mates, family, their their more talks are around building systems, building mm. a new company. We don't yeah. talk. We don't talk that. Never, mate. That is an insight and a half. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Americans sit around talking about their latest invention or their business, and we and, sit around talking about property. And, and uh, I'm talking about it. Even, uh, I'm talking about this, right? I'm talking of this talk, but even I'm no different, right? It takes time to change that kind of mindset. But if you think it deep enough, and if you do have the time to think about it deep enough, then you go, you know what? It's not the right and the smartest way to build an economy. Speaking yeah. of mindset, I think uh, I, I totally agree with you uh, there, John. I think uh, uh, the US guys obviously talk about, they, they talk about their inventions. They talk about their, they talk about their businesses. They talk about their creativity. In a they way. talk about their creativity, right? Mm-hmm. And then how mm-hmm. to make more money. And then they use property as a means to store their wealth, not to generate wealth. It's basically to store their wealth, isn't it? So mm-hmm. that's what, I think that's what a lot of the entrepreneurs across the globe yes. are doing, essentially. Using property as a means to store their wealth, not necessarily to create wealth from it, mm-hmm. but to find other means to generate that income from through business, through other means. Um, yeah. So, how often do how often do we see Australian tech startups getting listed on ASX or Nasdaq? Uh, yes, there was Atlassian, one of them. Uh, there have been uh, there was Afterpay, a couple, but not like uh, if you look at US or some of the other countries where the all the big names have just come out of those mm-hmm. countries, especially US, obviously. Yeah, the system is built that way. And look, that, that, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about income inequality as well, but if you've got a, a, a wealth, so if you've got an economy that is geared towards allowing people to succeed and fail, there's two things that really drive income inequality, three things, income inequality in, the, um, in kind of the US, let's say. Uh, two of them are good and one of them's bad. So what, one, one is um, 
that if you if you have a culture where people can try new businesses and come up with new ideas and some of them make these people extremely wealthy, that's awesome. I like that kind of income inequality. I'm fine with that. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna invent Apple, you get to keep that. That's that's totally it's awesome. Totally, yeah. The other th- the other reason for income inequality is if you have societies with large a large amount of immigration. So most immigrants come in bottom and then they spend a generation working their way up. Uh, if if you're gonna have immigration, like, so Japan doesn't have as much income inequality, but they have lots of capitalism as well. So if you're going to have lots of immigration, you're going to have lots of income inequality because it takes a generation to, to change that. That's reason number two. And I'm fine with both of those reasons. Um, the, the third reason is central banking and low interest rates that creates asset bubbles and the asset owners become wealthy, uh, sometimes I suppose at the expense of other people trying to get in. And that's the form of income inequality I don't like. Um, that's a contrivance, but, you know, income inequality by itself doesn't tell you anything. Uh, it doesn't tell you if, if there's been something just or unjust happening, because if, if, if Michael Jordan's taller than me and he can play basketball and myself as a short Greek can't make it on the team, there's nothing unjust that's happened, but there's, there's inequality, but the central banking one is unjust because that was a contrivance and and a wealth redistribution. I know that sounds weird, but if you if you if you have the top tax rate at ten percent, I think you can I think you can create that. Um, I think I need to think about that. Business but. tax, isn't it? So business. So you're yeah. saying business tax is way too high in Australia. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it's just the taxes thing that obviously does help. I think it's more just the that culture. society that culture is missing. That culture is not there. Yeah. Culture mm. is a big thing, and to build culture is. Not easy. It's very painful. It's hard. Uh, uh, how many property investors do you know, John or David, who will happily throw, who already have got maybe 10, 25 mil portfolio, and they'll happily throw a mil to buy another property because it's going to be negatively geared and it's going to go up in value in 10 years, right? But that same person, even though after having five or 10 million portfolio, will not throw that million bucks on a creative uh, genius who's out there looking for capital because uh, they've got a great idea and execution is there, but the money part is missing. The people won't because the mindset is property is safe. Property, uh, the Reserve Bank is there to support it. Rates will be lowered. Prices will go up. My million in 10 years is going to be two or three mil if leveraged more, uh, which most of the cases it is. Um, so we don't even give entrepreneurs a chance over here. Basically, people. The, my point is the people who have got the money, who have made their money through property, they keep trading within property, not trying to go out and giving chance to the new kid out on the block who's trying to build something more creative. Where do they go? Maybe they'll try and leave the country brain drain and go to US. Yeah. And over so here is over here. What's left is property again. <laughs> It's a, look, America is a bit unique, though. I mean, like we, we say, oh, Australia doesn't do startups, and we don't. But but nor does you know, nor does Bulgaria or the UK or, or you know, America is very unique as a bit of a frontier country. And uh, what makes them look unique? At, look, at, look, at, look at China. Look at parts of Europe like UK and all. Uh, they may it may not be startup. It may be other manufacturing stuff. It doesn't have to be a startup, mm-hmm. as in tech company. But yeah. productivity in a different way, whether it's car manufacturing or whether it's the financial yeah. system yeah. Uh, or look at China, they may copy US or some other country, but 
productivity is there, right? Look at look at India. Oh, yes. Yeah. Look at India. Okay. Same thing. Manufacturing and other stuff oh. that happens over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I I think Australia and Switzerland are more reliant on property in general. It's just the bread and butter of this country. Yeah. It's hard to reproduce what America's done, though. That, that's what I'm saying. That yeah. you know, there's a reason why. So China's extremely productive. So is Vietnam, and the Germany's very productive, and so on. So you can be a productive country, but being a creative country is different. And mm. America's sort of carved that out uniquely. Which is, I mean, if you think of the countries that produce all the IP, it's like US and Israel, and you know, and in the UK, I suppose uh, below that. So being creative is difficult. And what you need is a culture where you celebrate failure. And we have, we have the opposite here. We have sort of a tall poppy syndrome in <laughs> Australia. So it's, and I think most countries in a sense do, but um, yeah, it's, it's so, so interesting getting into the, getting into the culture of successes. Even look at, maybe, even look at um, Australia was known for car manufacturing as well. Back in the day, it's like there was heaps of car manufacturing that used to happen here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all of that car manufacturing disappeared because the governments decided they're not going to support car manufacturing. We did support real estate last year. <laughs> <laughs> Suspend mortgages for 12 months. We didn't support the car industry. That was that would have been a lot more productive. Yeah, but you know, but maybe, so, maybe bad example, but it's true. It, it's an excellent example, actually. Um, what I'd say is. Uh, Teaching people how to build a car is difficult, right? So, so there's skills. You can, so a society can forget skills. It can lose skills over time. Um, but if you lose your manufacturing base, it's very hard to get that back. If you lose your manufacturing base, you, you not only um, turn the factories into apartments, but you also lose the, the, the know-how. So you lose the people who know how to manufacture a car. You, you lose the management, blah, 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 blah. Real estate's easy to pump up because all you need to do is put more currency units into the economy so any stupid bumbling central bank on the planet can create a real estate bubble but not anyone can create a manufacturing bubble that's different that that takes skill support a a tax structure um know-how all that stuff Mm -hmm. that yeah so anyone can do a real estate bubble that that's easy culture um and i think it's just uh, as you said national sport it just comes down to where we are today so it's come back to a point as well i said i think it's the the australians obsession with property it's unlikely to change um it's just part of the part of what's being built into us so mm-hmm. anyway moving on um let's have a look at next one so oh yes uh back to property again see we just that's the thing we never we, we just can't go out without it can we so uh that was a sydney morning hero article that's uh being published talking about banking regulators poised to tighten lending standards to cool the market um and um the summary of the article basically talks about that the um uh, treasurer josh Freidenberg at the moment is obviously very very happy he's a happy josh at the moment seeing um seeing the property prices is up for everyone um But uh, from a stability perspective, the RBA and the APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, obviously need to find a balance uh, between keeping a happy Josh and a happy population at the same time. So um, they are looking at potentially, potentially ways to temper some of the heat across the national market in the coming weeks. 
we talked about different ways before already in terms of how that could be done. It could be a debt to income ratio measure by capping that at six or seven type of stuff. That's um, or um, like what CBA um, and Bankwest have done. I think earlier last week they've actually increased the floor rate um, for uh, for new borrowers for owner occupiers. So I think it was increased from five point. So previously it was five point one. And now it's being increased to 5.25. So what does that mean for borrowers? Um, so basically what that means is, let's say, for example, beforehand, how, how banks assess it usually is your actual interest rate and then they plus about a 2.5% buffer on top, okay? And whatever that figure is, if it's lower than 5.1, which is the floor rate, then they basically use the floor rate, okay? So you can't go below that. But if it's higher, they will use the higher figure. So... As an example, if you got a 3% interest rate mortgage from Commonwealth Bank, um, and um, you know, if you add 2.5, they assess it on a 5. Point, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, so 5.5% um, instead. Okay. But if you got lower than that, they they use 5.1% as the floor rate. So if you increase the floor rate, that means your lending capacity reduces accordingly because the floor rate has now gone up. You cannot go down to 5.1, you're now using 5.25 instead. So I think there's already, I'm sure, you know, behind the scenes, RBA and APRA is already probably tapping shoulders on some of these banks to say, hey, we need to look at ways of, um, you know, try to actually cool down the market a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's what we're seeing as, uh, as brokers on, on our side to see this, um, you know, they're definitely starting to make some little changes here and there. Um, to see how they can help um, cooling the market a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know, open to the floor. Jazz, have you seen anything similar, something similar along that line? Look, two things, sorry, just on the article. First, yeah. right? One is the, that obviously Josh is going to be happy. Treasury is going to be happy. The prices are going up. It gives him room to breathe. Uh, obviously, the if the prices go up, people will refinance their mortgages, take the equity out, whether they'll buy a car or open up a business, whatever they do, right? Either way, the money will come back into the economy, which means the velocity of money is going to start picking up because the prices are going up, right? If the prices go down, people go in more debt, doesn't work. So Josh is happy, no problems. Uh, RBA obviously does have a bit of uh, headache with this and APRA, which is supposed to look after uh, this industry. Yeah, you want people to spend basically that wealth effect that we talked about. So Exactly. John? Yeah, nothing, not, nothing much to add. I mean, the CBA raised its uh, hurdle rate from five point, assessment rate from 5.1 from 5.25. So it's a, small, it's a small increase, but it matters. It matters, and it's also a signal to the market that that's the direction. What, what's interesting to me is, is um, that the, the rate that you actually borrow at and the rate they assess you at is double. The rate they, that they assess you at is double. Um, so... To get to 5.25% will take years. It'll, it, I mean, would it take 10 years to, to raise interest rates that high? I'm not sure. It's just really a rhetoric question, really, that, um, that the difference between what we're being assessed at and what, we're being, um, what they're lending at is, as a percentage term, more than double, which is crazy stuff. I think that's just part of the buffer that uh, banks are putting in. And I can tell you, 
before this has dropped, the floor rate used to be around 7 to 7.25%. Yeah, yeah. This is around right. the Royal Commission period, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, at that time, you know, that's why it was literally impossible for people to borrow any money. So right now, it's actually, I was just talking to a client earlier about this as well. Now is actually a good time and an easy time to borrow money. And that's part of what the, um, what the, uh, what the RBA wants uh, people to do. They basically want that money to be taken out and they want the people to spend to stimulate the economy. Um, so, you know, there is a necessity to make sure that the, the funds are flowing throughout. Um, but, um, you know, uh, basically, if you, want to, if you want to be able to um, hike up the prices, then you just, you just loosen lending standards and then, you know, property prices will continue to soar that way, which is what we are seeing. And in order to reverse it, it'll cool a little bit. Okay, well, let's tweak a little, you know? like mm-hmm. One thing I would add that is sinister, but that, this is why I'm invited to the podcast, right, uh, to uh, give you the, the, uh, the, the, the scandals. Contrarian. I know you're a contrarian. <laughs> and I know that uh, David's got his finger over the uh, mute button, but one way that you could take the, st- the steam out of a, let me start again. We, we've talked about it's really difficult to raise interest rates from here. You, you, you can increase interest rates, but you'd have to be satisfied that there'd be a recession or some sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a credit bust or a debt bust or something like that. The one way you take the steam out of a property market without putting interest rates up is that you need a, to figure out a way to get the velocity out of the economy. Uh, one way to do that would be to implement a two-week lockdown. The, a COVID lockdown, let's say, which is what the which is what the <laughs> Victorians have done. <laughs> it's, it's happening everywhere. You know, we have a we have a vaccine and we know the virus, and yet we're doing lockdowns. And I'm just saying, it could be to take the velocity out of the economy so that they mm-hmm. don't need to raise interest rates. Uh, I don't think they are even thinking about thinking about doing anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, that's their intention behind the scenes, John. <laughs> we oh, love good. we love this. We love this. <laughs> All right. Um, look, Michael, the time, and um, um, I think we'll uh, we'll talk about a bit about Bitcoin. Uh, has been much Bitcoin news? Give us a bit of Bitcoin update this week. I don't think there, there's anything specific to Bitcoin as such, but in general, talking about crypto. crypto? Okay, crypto. Uh, yeah. Two big pieces of news that uh, that were out this week was obviously the biggest one is the China China banning. Um, or putting a lot more regulations around crypto exchanges uh, and all that stuff. And we have seen a lot of miners. Uh, so just for the listeners who don't know what miners are, is Bitcoin uses this technology, technology which is called mining, and uh, which is essentially computer power to compute the, uh, the next transaction. Um, and uh, what we have seen is uh, China banning a lot of that stuff and all these mining farms are moving out of China into other countries, whether it's North America or wherever. So that is that was the biggest piece of news. And I think that was one of the main reasons for the prices to drop a fair bit as well, because price and hash rate kind of go hand, hand in hand, uh, sort of, not exactly. So that was the one ma- main big piece of news, uh, which obviously impacted the prices clearly. It's down by more than 50%, I think about 55%-ish. The other big piece of news, on the other hand, was uh, which we discussed last week. I think it was Al Salvador. Uh, they have made made it as a legal tender, and the president of the country has come out and 
showcase some of the plans that they have got to mine uh, Bitcoin using the uh, more uh, advanced technologies, uh, which are green, kind of using volcanoes and all. Um, and they're already very actively working on that model and plan to start, I think they plan to start constructing it pretty soon as well. So very full on. The third big piece of news in that space, which only happened, I think, in the last day or so was in Europe, I think it was, the number was about 50,000 electronic vehicles, uh, charging station, EV charging stations, uh, will start accepting crypto as a means of payment uh, to pay for your charging of the vehicles, basically. So uh, which ones they haven't decided yet? I don't, think, I don't think the list has been finalized, but it's pretty safe to say some of the big names like Ethereum, Bitcoin, whatever else will be in there. So it was that was another good news, I think, that came up. Um, however, uh, the price, it hasn't moved the price much. Price is still floating around the same space. Get ready to pick up more? Is that, uh, is that the key message? <laughs> like I, I, I've always maintained my statement, put no more than 1% of your net, net worth into it unless you're confident enough with what you're doing. If you are, great. If you're not, don't take that back because the price price will it will not surprise you the price is sitting at uh, twenty thousand or under twenty thousand in a couple of weeks time, or, and it won't surprise if the price is sitting at hundred k in a couple of months time. Either direction, it will not surprise. The thing is, this thing is dependent upon so many factors, and uh, um, it's a free market, so there's no circuit breakers like share market. If it drops by ten percent. We stop the market. So if US comes out and says tomorrow, we're banning this thing, it could be sitting at 1,000 or lower. Right. Or they may say, you know what, we are making it as a legal tender as well. Then all of a sudden you can see where the price will go up. So it's it's dependent upon, it's dependent, it's really dependent upon a lot of countries, what kind of news comes out, how far advanced the technology is, what's the adoption rate and all that stuff. So there's risk involved with it. People should people should be aware of that. But uh, if you're like anything, when you're, when you're betting in a casino, decide how much you want to bet. <laughs> if you like being a bit of adventurous, then uh, yeah, just be, be cautious, right? And uh, <laughs> exactly. it's not, uh, yeah, and as always, it's not a financial investment advice here. It's just you always seek your own personal circumstances. And uh, I know, you know. And look, um, it's not the only investment class. It looks like, it is the investment class that is outperforming. But look at some of the other stocks, like Tesla is your example, right? Uh, right? Property is a safe bet, relatively. Or look at some of the mining stocks. They're, they're up, up like 2,000% uh, if you pick the right ones up, right? So uh, it looks, it's just because with Bitcoin, the numbers are in thousands. So mm -hmm. going down from 60,000 to 30,000, from 30 to 20 and 20 to 100, whatever it is, right? The numbers are big, but in terms of percentage change, there's other things in the market that you can look at that are equally adventurous. <laughs> John's <laughs> been very, very quiet. I was just thinking. Oh, uh, no, look, I'm, 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 talks. <laughs> I've, been, I've been stung by crypto a little bit. So, uh, so <laughs> I, I'm like a, a country indicator. John, John's getting into crypto. Sell, sell. It's um, funny I said that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But well, one thing I'd say, a uh, couple of things, actually. First thing I'd say on crypto is the news about the electronic vehicles charging station accepting, you know, Ethereum and Cardano and all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's really good news because if, um, if we never actually use crypto, if, if there's no, like, utility or user case for crypto, we're just trading air. This is just, we're just trading tulips. So I'm really pleased to see that there's, uh, that crypto has a user case, which, of course, it does, but we need to see... We need to see the rollout of a technology that's useful in the same way that the internet was useful. And we saw e-commerce um, firms emerge and we all rely on the internet now. We need to, we need to move to a place where we, we need and rely on cryptocurrencies. Otherwise, it will die and it'll, it'll, it'll uh, fizzle out. So I think First just thing- on that, John, I think we need to move to El Salvador. So many reasons. So many reasons. <laughs> Uh, so, so that's um, that's the first point. The uh, second point is about patience. So, the, 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 you know, when you said, "Look, crypto is not the only asset class out there. There's loads of asset classes, and some are moving up, and some are moving down. And you kind of have to own perhaps a little bit of all of them, even the asset classes that are going down, um, if if they if they represent quality and for, for diversification, you, you need to own a number of asset classes." And yes, that could include asset classes that are going down and you're never going to pick the timing. So I'd say, uh, uh, you know, be patient, own a bunch of things that have value. And on your point about mining stocks, I mean, I think that we entered a mining bull market last year, but it's probably going to go for seven, eight, nine years. So, and, and in some of those years, it's going to go down, even though over the eight year or five year, seven year period, it's going to move up. So be patient and don't don't jump at shadows. Don't chase trends. Just pick a learn about stuff and then apply some money because you're going to miss out on some stuff. Exactly. It's there's always going to be rotations in the market, right? Yeah. Whether it's the big tech or whether it's the crypto or whether it's the mining, the rotation will be there. Uh, the problem is people get caught in the rotation at the wrong time because yep. by the time they hear about it, the board has already not only left has reached the destination. So people are getting off and the other institutions are getting off and the big smart investors are getting off and the retail's jumping in. To the listeners, like always, none of this is financial advice. Uh, do your own research. Don't over leverage. Play safe, stay safe. And we will see you guys next week. John, Jazz and David. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>